We're going to be finishing our, our story of, of uh, Daniel, uh, as far as the, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in this second dream. So we're going to jump right into our text. We're actually going to back up to a, a portion of the, the passage that we read uh, last week. Uh, we're not really going to get so much into the dream. We're going to get into a lot of the, the material around the dream. Uh, we kind of know that this is a story of the downfall of, of of Nebuchadnezzar and what eventually builds him back up. So we're going to, uh, chapter 4 of Daniel, and uh, verse 13 is where we're going to be beginning. Daniel 4, verse 13, he says, I saw in the visions of my head while I was on my bed, there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he cried out loud and said this, Chop down the tree, cut off the branches, strip its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it, and let the birds... Uh, from its uh, leave its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots of the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze, and in the tender grass of the field let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the grass of the earth, and let his heart be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the heart of an animal, and let seven times pass over him. And this decision is by the decree of the watchers, and by the sentence uh, of the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he will, and he sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, uh, was, I told you we were going to see that a few times, uh, <clears throat> was astonished for a time, and he, his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and says, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concerning your enemies. The tree which you saw that grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens in which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and on whose branches the birds of the heaven had their habitation. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump, its roots, the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let them graze with the beasts of the field till seven times passes over. This is the interpretation, O king. The decree of the Most High, which he has come upon my Lord, the king. They will drive you out from men, and your dwelling will be with the animals of the field, and they will make you eat grass like oxen. They will wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times will pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking around in the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke and he said, Is this not great Babylon? 
that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. And while that word was still in the king's mouth, the voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, and the kingdom has left you. They will drive you from men. Your dwelling will be with the animals of the field. They will make you eat grass like oxen seven times to pass over to you. Until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. In that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails had grown like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and understood, understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is in an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will. And the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Daniel 4.19 is where I want to begin from in this passage. This is Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And he answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Now, I suppose if we, we a quick reading of this, it might seem to indicate that Daniel didn't know what the interpretation meant. Like, oh, I wish it was like, may this. I, I hope this is for somebody else, not for you. Uh, but I think that's based on what we know after this. Daniel knew what it meant. Uh, we don't know exactly for what a while is. Uh, this word can mean an hour. It can mean a moment. It's uh, so, so maybe somewhere between the two. But but something that Daniel sees in the understanding of this dream, it causes him dismay. He's He's just he's he, he just he can't talk. He's he's kind of despondent for a little while. Daniel knew what this meant. So so this is more like if if we understood Daniel saying, if only this were for your enemies and not you. That's what Daniel. This is probably a little bit more like what this means because Daniel knows what this means. Like I wish this was about somebody other than you. And and Daniel's reaction is not natural. To us, just reading this and, and only knowing really uh, a little bit of, of maybe history, but, but mostly what we know about this is, is from the book of Daniel. And only knowing what we know, the, the few events in, in the life of Nebuchadnezzar that we have, it doesn't seem to me to be a natural reaction. If I was Daniel, I'm just saying, you know, if I'm putting myself in Daniel's place, Daniel has been personally threatened by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he's watched the attempted murder of three of his close friends by Nebuchadnezzar. And a natural reaction, if I got this, is it's about time. 
Thank you. I've been waiting for this. My natural reaction would be maybe more akin to Jonah's reaction to things. You know. All right. I've got the popcorn ready, and I'm waiting. Let's let's watch this movie. I want to see how this ends. I already know how it ends. God told me how it ends. I mean, at least at least Daniel knows how it's going to end. This is going to end great. Uh, I've been waiting for this. But Daniel has a reaction that we don't expect. He is with this man. If only this could be somebody else. What do you mean? This is the perfect guy for this punishment. This guy. But, uh, but he doesn't have that reaction. He was genuinely affected by what was going to happen to this guy that that we, do, we think of as a bad guy, at least at this point in time, based on some of the things that have happened. I mean, we know some of the stories, we know how some of this ends, but and we, we see this trajectory, but this, there's still these down points in this. Daniel has a view of humanity that I think is good for us to learn. That, that Nebuchadnezzar is more than just this wicked ruler. We're going to see why he has this, this view of humanity that is, that is very healthy for us um, to have. I want to notice, first of all, that the fall must come. We have to begin there. Daniel 4, verse 32 and 33 says, You will be driven out from among men. Your dwelling place will be with the, the animals, and you will be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time will pass over you. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, what that means, or what it possibly means, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom and gives it to whom he wants. Immediately the word was fulfilled, and he was driven out. And we know the rest, right? Now Daniel is quite possibly the most attacked book in the Old Testament. Uh, As far as, as people, critics who wish to prove it wrong, Daniel is probably the most attacked, and it's because he is a book of visions. He's a book of predictions of things, and and the things that that he says, they come true, and oh, they come true to the details. And we will see that, especially as we get into the second half of this book, the the details and details. Not just general prophecies. This isn't Nostradamus-type stuff where, oh, yeah, in the future something will happen to some person. You know, um, this is, I mean, dates and, and, and numbers and, and events exactly as, as he predicts them. People want to bring this book down because if they can bring this book down, man, that is, that, that, that's a key to bringing down a lot of the, the Old Testament and, and reducing the, the veracity of this, diminishing it in some way. Well, so those critics, they, they sit in on Daniel. They say, well, there's no period of seven years missing from, from Babylonian history, or, or there, there's no, 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 there's no or I should say, there's no reference to, to, to a seven-year period of insanity. I mean, seven years is a, is a long time to, to you know, not reference. Well, there, there's actually not, quite, quite frankly, the Babylonians were not good history takers. Uh, they're among the worst of, of ancient uh, people. That there, there are large sections missing. Uh, you know, in fact, most of what we know of Nebuchadnezzar is, is in the first 12 years of his reign. That's pretty much what we have. Uh, and it's pretty absent after that. Uh, and, and so it, it's believed that, uh, so a lot of people think that this happened some point in here. Um, we'll say this, that, that the problem is what we, a reference that we have is, that, is to seven years uh, is not exactly af- accurate, possibly. Um, 
yeah, a lot of conjecture here. It says seven times. And, and so ancient cultures had two, simul, not simultaneous calendars, but they had, they had for their celebrations, they went by two things. One was the sun, but the other was the moon. Uh, the moon was very important uh, to, to Babylonians and, and to Assyrians and various ones like that. So this could mean seven months. We don't know, really. And, and either one would be capable. All we know is what happened to him. He, got, he grew long hair. And he got long fingernails. You ever see those pictures of guys that, or people grow whatever they grow those long fingernails that start curling around? And it's kind of really nasty. Yeah, this is Nebuchadnezzar at the end. So I don't know how long it takes to do that, um, but he was a pretty nasty-looking guy at the end of the, whatever this period. And I, I imagine seven months of, of not keeping care of yourself makes you look pretty nasty after a while. So I think probably seven months is is, is fine, but it could be seven years. And, and actually next week we're going to talk about how this possibly is seven years too. Uh, but we're going to get into that later. Um, but it, there's no, there's nothing in in history that that demands that that Daniel is incorrect. Uh, there's there's no there's no evidence for for this. Uh, you know, if we had a if we had a a full accounting of Nebuchadnezzar from year one to 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 the end, and, and it was just full of everything he did month by month, it would, it would be. It, might challenge our our understanding of Daniel a little bit more. It's like there's no period where he was insane. But we don't have that, unfortunately. Uh, so, so there's nothing that that uh, proves the Bible incorrect. Um, it is interesting that whenever someone is is assuming a contradiction, they they always assume that the the other side, other than the Bible, is correct. Or, or you know, they always make that assumption, as we will see. But understand that the fall must come. This must happen. This was is it falls under those. If God said it. He means it, and it, it happened. Um, and I think we can we can trust that. I want to look at a document that we do have uh, from history. For those, <clears throat> this is a, a document that was found. Um, uh, it's a fragment of a piece. I, I looked for a photo, but unfortunately, the British Museum, where, where this is, is is notoriously bad at searching, uh, especially right now. They they're I don't know if they're in transition, but I I could not locate it. Uh, but numerous uh, documents um, attest and books attest to this, the existence of this fragment. Uh, it was translated by a guy who works at a, or he's a professor at, at a, a Toronto uh, university. Um, it was found in 1975. And these are some of the lines. Now, again, this, this is not proof positive evidence for uh, this, this period of time. But, but it does seem to, this could possibly be, a reference to this period of time. This is actually written by uh, Evel Merodek, which is um, the uh, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he became the first ruler, and then he was assassinated, I believe, by one of the other brothers later who, who took over. Uh, but he writes this, and, and, and again, it's, it's kind of chopped off, so we kind of have portions of lines, and so we kind of got to piece things together. But this is interesting that um, it says, Nebuchadnezzar considered something, uh, and then it goes on and says, his life appeared of no value to him. I mean, this is his son. Like, all of a sudden, his Nebuchadnezzar, his, his life doesn't feel valuable to him. And the Babylonian, speaking of his father, speaks bad counsel to evil Merodak. So, so he's giving bad advice to his son. He gave an entirely different order, so apparently he's giving uh, controversial or contradictory statements uh, from, from what he had given uh, earlier. He does not heed the word from his lips. In other words, his father is no, no longer listening to, to his son. Uh, 
uh, or the courtiers, the, the, uh, the, the people in, in the, uh, who work in the court. He does not show love to son or daughter. His family and clan do not exist. His attention was not directed towards promoting the welfare of Esagil and Babylon. Esagil is a, kind of a, another area under, under Babylon. He prays to the Lord of Lords. He raised his hands in supplication. He weeps bitterly to Marduk, the great god. Uh, so, so this kind of an interesting thing here that we that we see um, the fragment uh, here is is dated around somewhere between the 11th and 13th year of the reign of Babylon. So, so that would seem to contradict kind of we thought kind of as I was going through this, I, I thought that maybe we're we're much later in the period of, of Babylon uh, or, or under Nebuchadnezzar, like maybe around his 30th year of his reign, but that's not true. It's, uh, at least according to this, if this is that event that we're talking about, again, we don't know that. Uh, it would be nice to have the other half of this fragment <laughs> give us a little bit more of information uh, what this is talking about. But we see a couple of things here. As I see, we see an emotional state uh, in, in lines two and three um, that, that, that are, and, and actually really throughout here, we see something is different emotionally. We see also um, an incapacity really to rule, which is kind of indicated by Daniel. And uh, we see that he is disconnected uh, from friends and family, that, that there's just something not right. And so, so there is a, you know, at the, at the very basic, that's what this is talking about, whether this is talking about a different event in Nebuchadnezzar's life or the one in Daniel. This would seem to be more of a confirmation to me, if I'm reading this, uh, than, than a, you know, at least it's, it's possible from history that this event happened. So really don't want to get into evidences a lot, but I think that is interesting. Uh, to say the least. Uh, but as I say, the fall must come, and there is only one cure for rivalry. And we see this actually in the last two lines. I think this is significant. We see, uh, I think, and maybe in reverse order, but, but remember that this is, this is from the view of his son, Evil Merodach. This is not a statement of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, but but he's, he sees him, uh, and this seems to con- confirm what we've talked about up to this point, this... this uh, going back and forth that Nebuchadnezzar has had between his pagan god, Marduk, uh, uh, which is also the basis, uh, Merodach is, is from Marduk. That was the name of, of his son. Uh, he goes back and forth between this and, and praying to this Lord of Lords guy. And, and obviously it, it looks that uh, it looks that Evil Merodach is quite disapproving of the uh, in verse line 16. He's he's pray, he's he's going up to this this uh, Lord of Lords guy, and I don't like that too much. Uh, and then he weeps bitterly to Marduk, the great god. You know, he, this is the one he should be. But we see this going, and that's the whole point for this. That's the whole point for this is a, this going back and forth between gods, and that's why God is is getting him to this point. Oh, well, that's the contest, and and so even during this, it appears that. That there's this rivalry. God listen, listen, God does not play with, he does not share his toys with other gods. He doesn't play nice. And, and so, as long as, as, to whatever degree that, you know, whether this was a, an insanity that Nebuchadnezzar kind of came in and out of and had this, I don't know if you ever dealt with, um, a lot of you have dealt with people who are, going through dementia and things like that in later stages, and they'll have these moments of clarity. Um, 
And, and they have a moment of clarity and, and they can converse a little bit and then it's back into the descent of this. And, and, and some people, you know, in those moments they can, they can communicate and connect. And I, I wonder if that's what we're seeing, that, that every once in a while there's this moment of clarity and, and God says, hey, have you had enough yet? Do you want to? And, and it, it seems maybe this is in these moments that he's wrestling. And God says, no, you haven't had enough yet. Let's, let, let's just live, let you live a little bit more like this. And, uh, and he cries out to Marduk or he cries out to this. And finally at the end of this, he, he lifts his hands. Uh, he prays to the, to the Lord of Lords. And, and I like that, that comparison of verse 16. He says he, he raises his hands in supplication. That is exactly... Uh, what verse 34 says, he says, at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. This is almost the exact same thing that we're looking at. And he finally has the moment of clarity and realizes that rivalry isn't getting him anywhere, that, that, that there's this, not this rivalry. And he finally breaks through and God says, okay, you've had enough. And restores to him his kingdom. And after that, we don't have any history of Nebuchadnezzar. None. Not in Daniel. Not in ancient history. Nothing. Yet we know from their records, all we know is, is how long he was the king for. So we have like 30 years of things just went as normal. Isn't that interesting? All the turbulence and everything that, that happens. Rivalry only has one cure when it comes to God. And that is that whatever the rival is has to be defeated. Excuse me. <clears throat> I want to <clears throat> continue on here. Uh, because I want to start looking at Daniel and his emotional conflict. Understanding now that the situation of what's happened. <coughs> says at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. The king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built uh, by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of his majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, it is uh, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Uh, while we were in, in Berlin, I had the, it was just, we went to a museum. We are bored for a month. I know being bored in Berlin, but we were doing documents and things like that. So that was the boring aspect. So we was like, well, there's a lot of history around here, so we'll go. So we went to a museum. I had no idea what was in the museum. <clears throat> we went in, and there's the Ishtar Gate, or a reproduction. It's, it's the actual gate but it's been kind of restored and there's a lot of new additions to it to kind of make it complete and so it's one of those things you, that might be one original brick and the rest of it's made up, I don't know um, but um, and you, you walk through and you're looking at the Ishtar gate which is a, the gate where Daniel would have come through and it kind of makes you feel small, I probably talked about this before but it just kind of makes you feel small in terms of history when you walk through a, a gate where Daniel and uh, you know, Hananiah and Azariah and Michelle would have walked through this gate on their way uh, to Babylon. And he's like, wow, great men have, have walked through this gate, or at least a representation of this gate. Um, Daniel knows God. We're going to look at a, at a picture of this. Um, 
Daniel understands who God is. And, and, and I think that's an important thing to, to remember. Um, I think I have a, a picture somewhere in here. If we're just, I'm just going to flip through here. There we go. This is a, um, a picture of it, of an inscription. And I want you to notice something. We'll kind of back up here and, and look at this. I'm just going to do it, my notes out of order. It says, this is not great Babylon, which I have built by my, my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Now I'm going to read you an inscription. This is just a, a portion of it. It's actually, this, what you see is just a, 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 is like three times the height of this and a little bit wider. Um, I just kind of took a, a little clip so you could kind of see what it looks like. Um, but I'll, let me read really briefly kind of what this paragraph says. It says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the pious prince appointed by the will of Marduk. This was obviously built much earlier uh, than this event. The highest priestly prince, the beloved of Nabu, the prudent of prudent deliberation who has learned to embrace wisdom, who fathoms their Marduk and Nabu godly beings and, and pays reverence to their majesty. The unretiring governor, untiring governor who has, always has the heart and the care of the cult of uh, some places here, uh, is constantly concerned with the well-being of Babylon and a bunch of other places. The firstborn of Nabopolassar, the king of Babylon, am I. Both gates and entrances of the city walls uh, following the filling of the streets of Babylon had become increasingly lower. So I pulled down these gates and I laid their foundations uh, at the water table with the asphalt and the bricks. And, and he goes on and on. And this whole thing is just about how great of a city he had built. In short, it's this, this verse right here. Oh, is this not great Babylon that I have built? Uh, Daniel records it, and, and, and here it is in history. And you can walk and see this, the pride of this great, great man, but a great pride, and a great pride that, that caused him to fall. Uh, and, and just this whole thing is just a, a, a testament to his pride. Just wonder how wonderful I am that I have built all these things. And he's walking around, and he's so impressed with himself. And Daniel knows God, and yet Daniel sees the tragedy. Um, <laughs> Daniel's interpreting the stream, and he knows God is faithful. And it's like, I know that this is going to happen. And so he has this emotional conflict because he knows. When God promises punishment, it's coming. Now, I don't know what happened when he first gave that. Prediction. Nebuchadnezzar's never had a reason to doubt Daniel before. Maybe thought, yeah, this is uh, this is probably going to happen. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe it won't. I don't know. And whatever happened, a year later he had forgotten all about it. Maybe he thought, yeah, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Oh, that was a close call. Uh, maybe I'm not going to get caught. I'm not going to get caught. Whew. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was down by the uh, train tracks. And uh, I just... Just a stupid kid. And uh, a train came by. I'm, I'm stuck. You know, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I'll throw rocks at the train. Right? This is seventh grade. So I picked up a rock. I don't know how I, I mean, I was a small guy, so I don't know how I, I was able to pick up a rock. But I was, it was probably this big, but, you know, it was this big to me. Um, and I lofted it, see if I could land it on, a, on the top of the train. Well, it was apparently uh, cars... Uh, on the train didn't have a top and I heard a 
it was not a malicious thing. It's just a stupid thing. So I ran home, and I hid out, knowing, knowing that the cops any moment were going to show up at my door. And I, I, I hid, I hid the whole rest of the day. I was, well, not the whole rest of the day, maybe a couple hours, or maybe not. They didn't come, so I went outside. That was close. Now, I wonder what people thought when the train blew. There's a rock in the middle of whatever that was. You know, something with glass, a windshield. I don't know what that was. Uh, but I forgot about it. God, that was close. Right? And this is Nebuchadnezzar. He got the bad news. But hey, it's a year later. Yeah, I guess I've gotten back. I guess he forgot about it. God doesn't forget. And this is Daniel knows it's coming. That's why he was in dismay. But Daniel watches the tragedy of pride. Regardless of theories, <clears throat> there's a, some facts that we know. All right. Daniel watches the pain. God repeats this theme throughout the Bible. Daniel watches the pain that comes from opposition to God. How many people? Well, here's one. Acts chapter 26, verse 14. When we'd all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. A goat is a very sharp object. Because uh, mules don't always, or horses, whatever, don't always like to go where you want them, especially mules. So they have a sharp thing that sticks there. And if the mule decides he wants to back up, he gets a sharp surprise and decides that forward is a better option. And God says, you know, it's hard for you to back up, Saul. You might want to continue going forward into Damascus. It's going to be a little bit less painful for you. Uh, another one, Luke chapter 20, verse 18, he says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But if it falls on anyone, well, it's going to crush him. This is Christ saying, listen, you, you have a choice. They both are going to cause some pain. But you can, you can let yourself be broken and allow your heart to be broken a little bit and allow that, that emotion allow some of the, the, the things that have become your habits and, and the things that you are valuable, you're going to have to, to break up a little bit of that or you're going to be crushed. That's a little bit more painful. And so Daniel has to watch while this unfolds, but the question is, why does this cause him pain? This is kind of where we began. Why does this cause him pain? Because... We know Nebuchadnezzar. We know what Nebuchadnezzar's done. Why does this hurt Daniel so much that this would cause him dismay? Um, it's because Daniel is invested. And that's why. Daniel's invested. He has spent time, we've talked about the, the, the effort and the deliberate energy and we've seen it pay off a little bit and we've seen some of those dividends and we've seen how it, you know, oh, I mean uh, Belshazzar, not uh, I mean Belshazzar you know, we've seen some of that work into the background and the underlying psyche of Nebuchadnezzar but it's really not gotten there yet so that even in his insanity 
it appears that he's wrestling between the two. And this is causing Daniel pain. Investment creates interest. Christ said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is why the compassion, because Daniel had invested in Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't, uh, Daniel didn't look at Nebuchadnezzar and see the evil tyrant, though he was. Daniel looked at Nebuchadnezzar and saw a person who he had, over the period of 10 to 12 years, developed a relationship with and was seeing some progress and just wished he would get there a little faster. And he knows the outcome. Are you aware of the jeopardy that the people around you are in? Or do we just kind of go through our day and, and that's the normal day and they're the people that are in the office and they're the people that are whatever the situation is. They're the people we interact with. They're the people at the bank. They're the people. Or do we know the jeopardy spiritually that they are in? Therefore, O King, he says, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. <clears throat> he has internalized, this is important, Daniel has internalized the reality of the predicament that is coming. He knows. And he's let it affect him. He's not kept himself distant. That's why the emotional response. And yet, even though he knows... <laughs> This is kind of interesting. Even though he knows what's coming, he still tries to encourage Nebuchadnezzar to change, knowing that he's going to be punished anyway. Knowing what God says that it's going to happen, and he's still trying to convince Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because he's internalized it and he recognizes the danger. So we are going to conclude. There's a story, and I've probably shared it before. It's just an anecdote. Um, A dad who wanted to get some sleep. He had a toddler. He was babysitting in the story where the mom is. But he wanted to take a nap, and uh, the kid's making a lot of noise. He's like, I need to keep this kid occupied with something quiet for a period of time where I can get some sleep. I just need a half an hour. So he goes and gets a he goes and gets a piece of uh, uh, the magazine. He rips out a piece of uh, you know, one of this one of the pages, gets some scissors and cuts it up. It's a it's a it's a map. So he got a toddler and give him a map. And he's like, you know what, son? He's like, here I got I got a, th- a project for you. Why don't you put this map together? And he just cuts out all the states or whatever it is. He just cuts it all out. Like, Three year old, he'll never get this. I have plenty of time to take the nap. About five minutes later, he's just drifting off. And the kid comes, finished it. <sighs> he's like, I know my kid's not a genius, so I, he's like, oh no, he just probably just taped the pieces together. What's going on? So he, here's a map. It's put together. He's like, what's going on? 
He's like, how did you do that? He goes, oh, it's easy, Dad. He pulls up, turns around, he says, on the picture was a man. He's like, when I put my man together, the world looked right. That is the absolute truth. When we put the man together, the world looks right. And, And here's Nebuchadnezzar. The world is completely out of order because the man was wrong. The, the, the internal order of things was all wrong. And so the world looked wrong. And he had no relationship with his family. He had no relationship with anything. And this is the condition that the people live in around us. And we have to understand their condition and not just look at them as, as a person at the whatever, wherever we are. They are people with emotional conditions, with with difficult circumstances. And so I leave you with the challenge to be the steady. And people will go back and forth. People are doing good one day and they're down the next. And that's what happens when you, you don't really have anything of depth in your life. And when they are tired of fighting the waves... They're going to look for something steady. It is not going to be, and we've talked about this, it's not going to be any of the things that they've turned to before. When they're really ready, when they're really ready to turn to something, in the meantime, to be that steady, we have to look past their opposition to God, look past their opposition to us, and see their humanity.